I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Hey, Stony Brookers, just want to give a heads up that the main topic of this book is, of course, eating disorders. If that's a hard thing for you to listen to, this might be a good one to skip. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today, we're discussing book 61, Jesse and the Awful Secret. We are also very excited to welcome with us today a colleague of mine, Dr. Sasha Gorell. Yay, welcome. <laughs> Very happy to have you here, Sasha. Sasha was born and raised on the East Coast, although sadly not in Stony Brook. She spent her childhood and formative years, that is our babysitting years, on Cape Cod and then moved to Boston to pursue a career in ballet. For the next 18 years, she danced first with Boston Ballet and then ended her career with American Ballet Theater in New York City. Post-retirement, she studied psychology at Columbia University, earned a master's in psychology at NYU and her PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Albany in upstate New York. She is now an assistant professor at the University of California, San Francisco, where she occasionally bumps into me in the hallway. And apparently, from her perspective, that's a good thing, which is very nice. (laughs) Um, Her work is centered in the eating disorders program, where she does clinical and translational research and treats adolescents with eating disorders in the outpatient setting. Fun fact, this was her first time reading a Babysitter's Club book. Wow. And what a perfect book. Yeah. It's almost as though you planned it. (laughs) What a coincidence. so random. What a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) so random it was a great entry I have to say I was immediately smitten and I was questioning you know how I missed this amazing like body of work my whole life so well I said you should come on for Marianne's makeover but Esme said that this was a better book (laughs) no wait for Jesse and the awful secret you guys trust me (laughs) trust me I guess I, I mean, I had said this to Esme earlier, but I had read so much as a kid and I just somehow missed these. And I think just because the the age window that I was born into, I read so many other books and not this series. So yeah, Sasha's just two years older than you and me. And so it's like that narrow miss being slightly too old once they You're not too old to read all 1000 books. All again. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is like, you know, my mom was um, oddly progressive and I, I should probably ask her, like, was there anything against this series that like you thought at the time it was going to taint me or something? She, uh, I'll give you guys an example. She decided that I was not allowed to play with Barbies because she thought that they were just, you know, too, too emphasizing, you know, the feminist, you know, ideal or whatever it was. And so um, she gave me Brenda Breyer dolls. Mm. which were these, you know, dolls that, you know, Brenda was a horseback rider and she was more of a tomboy and, you know, so, yeah. so who knows? Yeah, I remember my mom Brenda's, might have had yeah. come down hard on this series. I'll have to ask her. But Well, it is a pretty progressive series for the time. Okay. So I think it would be, I mean, <laughs> they are being liked. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they are doing reproductive labor. We talk about that a lot. But other than that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of progressive threads right. for sure. Sasha, so. were you a horse girl? You know what? I grew up across the street from a horseback uh, riding farm and I, oh. it was kind of like, it's hard to explain, but the road that I had to cross to get there was a little dangerous. So like they didn't say like, go ahead all the time. I had to go with like a little supervision, but yes, mm-hmm. I, I uh, grew up riding, which is pretty, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was normal. 
Um, now looking Amazing. back, I was like, people don't just grow up with a, you know, horseback riding right across the street, but. Nice. So not just a Jesse, you guys. We're going to have to figure this out for Sasha, but definitely a healthy dose of Mallory in there too. I mean, that they sort of are always <laughs> yeah. entangled. Yeah, they are entangled. We also they could have entangled. had Sasha on from Mallory and the Dream Horse. Is that what it was called? It's yes. true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So many areas of expertise. I know. <laughs> Triple threats, ballet, yeah. eating disorders, and, and horses. horses. Also, <laughs> you, you grew up on the East Coast, which right. there's just New so England. many things about this, this New series that all of us are like, oh, California, we don't know yeah. that there. Um, do you by chance sail? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, my I my parents never put me in sailing lessons, but I mm-hmm. um, my spouse now sails. I you know I canoed a lot as a kid, but had a lot of friends that were in the sailing boat. Wow. Okay, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I think know. one of us should retire. And Sasha just, should replace yeah. us. <laughs> I'm getting a little nervous because I don't feel like this. The show needs two psychologists generally. So. Yeah. Esme, you're out. I know. <laughs> Emily, you can stay on as producer, yeah. but Sasha's replacing you as on-air talent. <laughs> oh, great. So I get to do all of the boring parts yeah, and yeah. none of the fun yeah. parts. <laughs> you can listen while we record and like do re- look up stuff. Oh, I still get to Google? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. You can just like great, great. silently sit there and text us things. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Okay, well, let's get into our... Sorry, yeah. Sasha, we should, we should probably warn you that like sometimes... Ann and I are a little mean to us. Yeah. Well, I'm the crux. Like, I'm the connection, right? So when they get nervous, they have to both be nervous. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) Well, let's get into our one sentence summaries. I'll, I'll go first. Great. Mine isn't very descriptive, but mine is Claudia is not bothered with an eating disorder as she eats a Twinkie. (laughs) <laughs> I love it it's like tangential mm-hmm. Anne's are usually yeah. tangential <laughs> um, I'll go next because mine is also not descriptive but it's more in the vague sense uh, I wrote Jesse saved several people again <laughs> yes wow yeah Dude. we're we're uh, yeah she's definitely more perfect and magical again in this book compared to which is a big like left turn from super special nine where she loses her mind um which was just the most recent book so yeah can i go next um, how about how about you sasha what was yeah, your summary i feel mine is so literal like i really i'm a, I'm a rule follower so I we said, we we count on our guests for that yes, right. please. jesse tries dei volunteer work on for size questions <laughs> middle school friendship behavior and navigates having a peer with eating pathology Beautiful. Wow. Very wow. good. Like I Very said, good. I'm literal, you know? I yeah. said you gave that's, me you gave me directions, I follow them. Yeah, that's a that's a better I you know, this is where you can see the the through line of clinical psychologist traits because mine is very similar, but just with slightly fewer $5 words. So Jesse and the girls learn about jealousy, underprivileged children, and anorexia nervosa. Nice. Yeah. Do they really learn about underprivileged children? <laughs> No, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this plot and poor Raul. But um, that's the that's the goal. I think that's yeah. what we're supposed to think. Yeah, it's an interesting light breaststroke. I thought yeah. mm-hmm. it made me feel a late motif. Yeah, I also thought the use of minority was interesting. I forgot to look up like when that became a common term. 
but I'm wondering if it was like new. (laughs) I think that was pretty standard in the 90s. I mean, this book is when Anne and I were in high school. That's what we would have said. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. (laughs) I'm Anna Chikawa, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Sasha Garel, an eating disorder researcher. I'm a deliverer of tough love, and I'm deeply caring. Ooh, beautiful. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. Um, we, we love nice reviews. Just a, just a side comment. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, you can drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. We have three new patrons to thank and welcome gals. Um, so a pizza toast to Simone Elias, Kate Weaver, and Liz Stemeshkin. Pizza toast to you all. Yay. Yay, Liz, Kate, and Simone. Three. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. We're trucking along. Yeah, we're trucking along. Very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Sasha. Now comes the part where we ask you questions about yourself. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm ready. Well, okay. So you told us a little bit about yourself as a kid sorry i have like a piece of like chia seed stuck in my throat so let me start over (laughs) (laughs) my my husband made me this really big smoothie which is like triple the size that i would normally make myself (laughs) (laughs) and i think you put too many chia seeds in okay let me start over okay sasha here's a part where we get to ask you some questions about yourself so you you had we already know that you've never read a babysitter's club book before um, this is books. The shame. Yes. The shame. I know. <laughs> but did you read any other like series growing up? Like, do you read? I mean, you just said your mom didn't let you play Barbie dolls. So I doubt you read like Sweet Valley or, or anything like that. I didn't. I I was into I, I don't even know what series they were, but I was into these like historical biographies. Like it was like learn about Martha Washington and learn about nice. Franklin. And so I would go to the library and like, you know, basically each week check out a different one and read the whole thing cover to cover. Feel like I had like mastered Abraham Lincoln and, you know, (laughs) so yeah, I was really into that for a little bit. Um, I love it so much. I loved Emily, like Emily, I forget the, all the titles, but there was like, it was sort of a knockoff on Anne of Green Gables. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. I loved that sort of, um, strident female kind of genre. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I graduated pretty quickly and just like, I, I don't know. I started reading more adult books. Um, mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't too much a fan of the uh, the stuff that was geared to my age. But. Mm-hmm. Did were the Dear America books around when y'all were kids? No, okay. no, it's a millennial thing. I re- I was really into those. Yeah, it sounds similar to what Sasha's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But all the protagonists were girls, so it's like yeah. a girl in a different like historical moment experiencing whatever it was the kind of. Um, you know, mm-hmm. context of that place and time and her social position. So that I, I really vividly remember one of like a young Irish girl working in a factory, like in the Northeast, you know, after emigrating. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's funny. Yeah. That's very well, good. Well, I read, I what to, about like, um, I read Garfield books. Sorry, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Garfield. That was one of my favorite comics. Yeah, I, you did have a lot of Garfield books. I did. I well, they were that. my brothers. So hand me down. Yeah. <laughs> 
I got really into Agatha Christie. Nice. I read all of those mysteries. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, did you skip Nancy I, Drew? I no, I had a little bit of Nancy Drew. Um, okay. Yeah. Harriet nice. the Spy was a favorite book of mine. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's a classic. Yeah. I, I ate uh, tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches for a while just because Harriet did. Yep. <laughs> yep. Not She's sure. a pioneer in that. Yeah. I love them still. They're yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> and what about like Judy Blue and Beverly Cleary? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, killed those. I, I think I, you know, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I probably read that mm-hmm. like four times. Um, yep. Movie coming out in April. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Trailer just came out last week. Interesting. So, very exciting. It looks huh. good. We'll see. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't know how much Esme has told you about the Babysitter's Club universe or the characters, but maybe we could do a really quick um, BSC Big Five with her. Yeah, based on what we've yeah. heard so far. Yeah. So we created, a, you know, we early on people asked us about uh, personality tests yeah. since I'm a psychologist and I was like, well, the only thing that's really useful is the big five. And so we created a, a very scientific, very scientific factor analyzed um, assessment for people called the BSC big five, Sasha. So we could tell people <laughs> what percent of which babysitters there are. And it's, you know, right. it's, um, yeah. it's not categorical, it's dimensional because that's more accurate in psychology. So yeah, I mean, based on what we've heard so far, you guys, I mean, real strong Mal and Jesse mm-hmm. vibes. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. Can you give I mean, me a hint of Mal? I mean, I, I got a little bit of her from the book, but like, what's, how would you classify her? She's kind of like introspective and, but also like really um, a kind of big dreamer. She's wants to be a writer. She is really practical. They always describe her as practical. Oh, yeah. She's the yeah. oldest of eight um, children. Yeah. yeah. So she's always kind of like problem solving, but, but she's also 11. So she's like dealing with the brink of, you know, puberty and security and all that kind of stuff. It's the like awkwardness she's a, of being 11. Yeah. I think she's a, a universal character, actually. Like more people discover mm-hmm. Mal- maloric dimensions of themselves yeah. as they age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I think I have a drop of Christy. I mean, just the, the view of her with like a visor on, I was like, that's if give me a chance to be kind of somewhat bossy and a, or like a leadership <laughs> role and I will kind of step into it. So I, I feel yeah. like that's not always my MO, but I would say I have a little bit of Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the rest of me would be Jesse and Mallory, the way you're describing it. Yeah, I think so. I think too too uh too book smart to be a Claudia. Like obviously you've got the creativity there, but it's yeah. the more performing uh, as a yeah, Claudia's, you know. Too New England to be a Don. Yeah, too New England yeah. to be a Don. Yeah. <laughs> wow, guys. You're reading um, me. But a lot of time <laughs> in New York. Look. Uh, okay, I know, I know the obviously the ballet is Jesse, but there's a lot of New York City there both for mm. education and you know, so Sasha's obviously much more sophisticated than any of the three of us. So I feel like we got to throw some Stacy in Stacey, as well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Marianne? I'm not getting, yeah, I'm not getting Marianne much Marianne. Vibes. Yeah. The Marianne overlap is more accurately Mallory, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we think like... I don't know. Are you very romantic? Did you Were you like the first one of your friends to have a steady boyfriend? Nah, I yeah. too practical for that stuff. You know, I had yeah, yeah. Too practical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mallory can get moony on occasion, but she's very pra- pragmatic about her relationship with Ben. She's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 
Great. It's decided. Okay. So like 70%? Yeah. Like 70% Mal and Jesse, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like equal, Mm -hmm. equal parts. And then uh, like... 10%, 10%, more, more ten percent, ten percent Christy, ten percent yeah. Stacy. I think you, maybe a little more Stacy than that. I'm thinking like twenty percent Stacy. Okay, of that sophistication. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you all think I'm sophisticated, but yeah. I, I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> ballet is sophisticated. It is right. <laughs> and speaking of ballet, okay. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about. I set you up for that. I know. Yeah. I was like, "Good job, Emily," because I was about to ask that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to hear about your ballet background and just how you got started and your kind of journey through that. Do you want me to kind of jump into like my opinion of the ballet stuff in the book or are we going to get there? We'll get there, but this is more your personal. Okay. Yeah, personal we'll get there experience. later. We're still, yeah. we're still selfishly just focused on Yes. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, no, interestedly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I started, um, I guess you'd call it like creative movement when I was probably four. The woman who taught the classes in my town was about four foot 11 with a deep Hungarian accent and white hair that she wore in a little low bun. Oh, amazing. I, at the time, I mean, speaking about reading, I was reading like about these witches and the fairy tales that like they would gobble up the children. (laughs) So I lasted like maybe two classes. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going back there. (laughs) Like this woman, this woman was like a witch, you know? So I, yeah. yeah. So I quit and I was like, nope, not going to do it. So I did. I love her. I want to meet her. Yeah. (laughs) She's now, bless her heart. She died a couple of years ago. But um, anyway, um, so then my very best friend, Growing up, I had two really best friends. One of them um, was really into skating and horseback riding. The other one was really into ballet and dance. And she had the best costumes. There was Mm. this like Christmas tree costume. It was made out of netting. It was like a nutcracker type of thing. And it was just one of those things where I saw it and I'm like, ooh, I want to wear that. (laughs) So I said to my mom, like, I want to wear those costumes. My mom's like, well, you have to take the lessons all year. I was like, no, I don't want to. I just want to go and like do, (laughs) I want to do the show. My mom's like, that's not how it works. We actually have to get you enrolled in, you know, something. So went back to the the witch teacher at this point. She was no longer a witch in my mind because at this point I was probably seven or eight. And I was like, all right, I'm evolved. Um, I also took <laughs> classes from this other woman in my town. Her name was Jackie Colella. And she was like a tap, uh, tap and jazz. So the costumes for that had sequins and ruffles. And I just, <laughs> it was like, for, for me really, it was all about what I got to dress yeah, up I mean, this in. is it more Claudia funny. right now. Yeah. Claudia might have to be up to this like... This is more Claudia. Yeah. I your Claudia vibes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. So then as I went on, like, everybody was like, wow, you know, you're, you're really good, you know? And so I, I kept kind of like, if I auditioned for like a summer program, I got in. And then mm-hmm. if I, you know, so it was almost like this achievement orientation, like I was like, oh, I'm rising to the top of my class and all these the different things. And lo and, you know, behold, my friends started quitting ballet and I kept going. Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of went to a summer program. I guess I was 11. Um, Ooh, Jesse Mal's age. When I went, all the kids at the program that were in the top level, they went to Boston Ballet School. And I was like, and I, when I came home, I was like, mom and dad, I like all the good kids go to Boston Ballet. I was like, do you think I can go too? And they're like, well, we'd have to drive you there. It was about an hour and a half drive. And they were like, all right, you know, we'll do it on the weekend. So they started driving me on Saturdays. 
And then um, the next year, like the teacher's like, well, she should really be coming three days a week. So my parents were like, okay, we'll drive you like Wednesday, Friday and Saturday. Um, And then the next year they're like, well, she should be coming every day. My parents were like, oh no, we're not driving you to Boston every single day. So my mom moved with me at the time Boston Ballet School was in Newton. Um, she moved with me to Newton. Oh, that's went, where Boston College is. I went to Newton North High School while I danced at Boston Ballet School. And then I, the next year I got an apprenticeship. So I started dancing with the junior company. Um, and then, yeah, I dropped out of high school, um, got my GED because my parents were like, if you're going to get a contract with Boston Ballet, we're not going to tell you you have to stay in high school. And I was like, thank you. Like, very, very cool. Like I said, my mom was progressive. So it was my dad. They're like, sure, go ahead. Um, so yeah, I moved out. I was living on my own, um, paying rent, uh, my junior, junior year and senior year of high school. Um, yeah, my, my parents, my mom lived right down the street, so it wasn't like a big deal, you know, but it was, it was a big deal to me to, to feel like I was, you know, sounds like a big deal. Yeah, Yeah. it was really, it was pretty cool. Um, you want to know something random? I happen to have maybe like six to 10 friends in New York who are my age, who went to Newton North high school. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, One of them is married to like my very good friend. So I know her and like all of her friends that live in the city and it's, uh, it's it's random. Yeah. No, North, North at the time was like known as one of the best high schools in the state. Like they really prided themselves on like all their AP courses and, um, big rivalry between Newton North and Newton South. Like Newton South Mm -hmm. is known for, you know, like all the, uh, the weed smoking sort of you know, slackers where North was oh. like, you know, the, the prep, prep school kind of varsity, you know, high achieving academic school. Um, so funny. Yeah. And my partner went to Boston College. So I, I know the amount of people I know who at one point in their lives lived in Newton, Massachusetts is if you would have told me that 10 years ago, I would have been like, OK, sure. That's random connection. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. I was in Boston for a while. They had a lot of like changeovers in the leadership. Um, I actually got let go um, from Boston Ballet with ten other dancers. Like they had a new director and just basically said, "You like mm. you're you're not matching what I what I feel my artistic vision is." Um, mm. So I did sort of a wild audition tour all around the country, audition for Houston Ballet, like Pacific Northwest Ballet, all this stuff, and and I wound up um, auditioning for American Ballet Theater. Got a job, which honestly, I mean, no offense to Boston Ballet, but at the time I was like, wow, it's actually kind of a better job. <laughs> I was like, thank yeah. you, thank no, you for letting me go. I was like, I got, I got like a, a dream job in a way. Um, yeah, no, that's an, I mean, for those of us that know very little about ballet, that's. Yeah. You know, ABT we, is really top yeah. of the top, you know? So, and then yeah. at the time too, um, I hadn't done a whole lot of touring, but ABT tours. So mm-hmm. I got to go, I mean, I danced in Paris and London and Greece. I, you know, and went to Japan several times. And like, it's something where just mm-hmm. at that time in my life, I was single and didn't have a lot of reasons to like have to be home or anything. And so being, mm-hmm. you know, being on the road weeks on end, you know, dancing on the Acropolis, I was like, that's it's <laughs> it's like amazing. Yeah. So it yeah. was a, a super amazing way to end my career in that sense. And in terms of doing all that stuff that I, I, um, it was like building on what I had already done at Boston. So, um, yeah, and then I decided wow. to quit because I was like, you know what? I've had an amazing career. I, I'm done. You know, I was like, I can't really top this. And I always had aspirations of going back to school and doing something different, um, doing something a little bit nerdier. So I, um, yeah, it was actually I, very few dancers, I think, get to choose to retire. It's almost like they they have to retire because of an injury or because of, mm-hmm. you know, just feeling that they're getting old or whatever. And I was like, no, I'm actually, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm pumped mm-hmm. for my next, you know, whatever it is. So, And I have to assume that, 
your move into psychology and eating disorders is somehow related to that <laughs> career and that experience. You know, it's so funny. At the time, I started off college as pre-med. I just wanted to go to med school because I was mm-hmm. like really interested in the body. And, and um, but then, yeah, I just sort of started, you know, like the classes I didn't mind doing the homework for were the psychology stuff. And mm-hmm. then, you know, specializing in these different things. I got a like a research um, position in like an obesity lab. And I was like, wow, this eating stuff is so cool. And then yeah. And then now, I mean, it's almost like it, 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 oh gosh, it sounds so cheesy to say it shows me, but it was like, you know, it's like such a natural having lived, you know, almost 20 years of my life in an environment where everybody is at such high risk for, for eating disorders. And it's like now to, to be able to actually kind of understand that from, mm-hmm. um, from intellectual level is like, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's a gift. I feel like to be able to have the, the prior life experience I had and to be able to kind of apply it with, you know, my current, my current life. So. That's so cool. Uh, before we move on from your da- dance background, do you have a, s- a specific role or specific, you know, Jesse has gotten many, many starring roles as an 11 year old on us, point, she by lets the way. Us know that. Yeah. She's in Copelia, she's in Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. So, um, any particular roles that were your favorite or ballets that were your favorite to dance? I had um, three, I guess. In um, American Ballet Theater, I always feel like they, they cast me in some of the roles that had the theater emphasis. And so mm-hmm. one of those was the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, which you put on this like gigantic fat suit to give yourself that girth. Um, and yeah, you get to really, you carry yeah. the narrative. Like you, I, I think if, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you feel like you're really a part of, of telling the story and it's, um, it's a super rewarding role to have. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds kind of like, you're, you know, you're not Juliet, but yet for some weird reason, you kind of guide the entire narrative of, of mm-hmm. the three-hour ballet. Um, the other two, one is, it's by Twyla Tharp. It's called In the Upper Room. It's Philip Glass music. Um, it's mm, a super cool. intense piece where um, basically no matter where you do it, the audience jumps to its feet screaming with a standing ovation. It's one of those things where it's just the, the relationship that you, I mean, you kill yourself too. It's the most like physically exhausting thing I've ever done. The curtain comes down, the entire cast is on their back, like heaving, panting, whatever. And so you have to like pull yourself up to like go and receive this like crazy standing ovation. It's, uh-huh. it's super, it, it's just one of those events where I, I had actually, the, after the first show I had done of Upper Room, um, I just remember being like, okay, I could quit. Like that, there's, mm-hmm. it doesn't get better than that. Like that, that feeling. Awesome. Um, third favorite would be anything by Balanchine. Um, mm-hmm. The the ballets, it's so musical. You no matter what part you have in in the ballet, you work really hard and you feel like you are the star of the ballet because you your your work that you're doing is so intricate and and um, meaningful. So it's. He was really, I mean, they quote him in the book as being like a, a master, whatever. And he really, I mean, he really was. Um, so yeah, I, I just felt lucky to be able to dance a bunch of ballets that he had done um, within the rep that we did at ABT. So I could listen to you talk about ballet forever. I know. <laughs> yeah, like, awesome. uh, yeah. I, you should go straight a Jesse yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I will. And before, before we switch to the book and talk a little bit about the, I'm, I'm looking actually for the, the Balanchine reference I know is in the first chapter, but I, I was curious if that their like summary was accurate. I mean, basically Jesse says he was really important, but also blames him you know, basically yeah, for, for the tradition of, and ballet. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That, um, 
Yeah, she says, it's not unusual, though. There's a look in ballet. Dancers are thin, square-shouldered, and have a more or less oval face. I've heard that it started because the great choreographer George Palanchine wanted his corps de ballet to look alike. Since his death, this has started to change. That's what people say anyway. And so I was just curious I, if that was yeah, at all accurate. I, I, balked, I balked at that sort of um, distillation of history. I, I think yeah. certainly in the time period in which Balanchine was choreographing, there's all these rumors of him sort of saying ballet is woman, you know, sort of objectifying um, the women that he choreographed on. And he had several romantic relationships with, with ballerinas. And it was, you know, something mm-hmm. where I think, you know, nowadays it's just the, that wouldn't fly. Right. But I, I think, um, in the 80s, with sort of the advent of, like, Gelsey Kirkland was was one of the sort of, she had written this book called Dancing on My Grave. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but, like, sort of talking about how dancers survived on, like, cigarettes and Diet Coke. And mm. she herself had a very public um, cocaine addiction problem. And so she was super skinny. And it's, it's sort of almost like the partying era of the eighties was, was more, I think where like the, the ballet body became more shrunken than it maybe had been in the, in the seventies. Oh, um, interesting. And okay. then I, you know, I guess I, I'll, I'll jump into just saying this, that I think there were maybe three references both with Quint, but also um, in that section you were just reading where they were sort of saying like this perception of, of the thinness changing, like the, the idea that, Oh, they're, they're not doing that anymore. It's better. You know, it's, um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's actually true. Maybe that was the way it was in the 1990s when this book was written. But I, I don't, I think in fact, like the perpetuation of that thin ideal, I honestly, I think it's worse now uh, mm. than, than maybe even um, in the early 2000s when this book was written. So I, I don't know. I, their optimism, I guess, kind of struck me as like, I don't know about that. So Bringing maybe, false. Yeah. 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 That happens yeah. a lot with some of the like after school, especially threads in these yeah. books that they're like, it's improving. You know, exactly. There's a little bit of like rah, rah multiculturalism too, yeah. right? That like Jesse's family is black and at first they didn't like them, but now everyone's nice. And yeah. like yeah. that fixes racism or something, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess, I always have to, as the, uh, you know, killjoy, killjoy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, be reminded that these are books for children. So (laughs) from 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, To kind of, you know, not have it be too scary or, or depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we ask Sasha more questions, Emily, do you want to just give a brief overall plot summary because we were sort of hinting at the different things that have happened in this book but there's like three big plots in this one which is also okay so jesse volunteers to help her dance school run a once a week class for kids who can't afford um ballet so it's like a free class and like 40 kids sign up and there's one teacher so they ask the older students if any of them would be willing to volunteer some of their time and Jesse and one other girl from her class volunteer and then a couple girls from another class and then two boys from another class. Um, and the girl that's in Jesse's class is like losing weight rapidly. Jesse's really concerned. And then the girls like learn, look up, you know, they steal Janine's psychology <laughs> textbook and look up <laughs> um, anorexia. Um, and Jesse's also, there's a kind of funny thing with her where she's like trying to act older with these older ballet kids and finally feeling like accepted at ballet school. And they're also talking about like whether or not the school is doing actually doing something good for these kids. And so there's this like discourse around them being underprivileged and whether the approach that the teacher's taking is um, like 
taking the kids seriously or taking their interest in ballet seriously. So there's kind of like that thread. Um, and then at the BSC, uh, Christy's like really busy and Shannon is trying to hang out with all the girls and Christy gets really jealous. Um, and I think there's supposed to be some thread there between that plot and the eating disorder plot, but we could talk about whether, what that is. <laughs> is it maybe just like talking to your friends when you're worried about them or something? I guess, probably. I yeah, that's um, the thinnest of thin lines, yeah, I think. Yeah. Right <laughs> um, and there's no babysitting plot. There's really. a little babysitting I because that's the vehicle for Shannon to come hang out with the other girls, basically. Right, so but there's, there's like, not like yeah. a... Uh, there's not like something happening among the babysitting charges. That, no, what's yeah. happening is that Shannon's hanging out with mm -hmm. the other members of the BSC. That's what's happening. Yeah, it's very little babysitting in this book, which I'm sure Anne and Emily were pleased with. The relationship <laughs> and Jesse has, though, with the minoritized, if you will, children, I'd say yes. that's sort of caretaking and babysitting in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. for sure. Yeah. But they play, yep. yeah, and they the, play that the, game way too much, though. <laughs> Oh yeah, and Anne's tired of let's all come in. Okay, when it showed up for a second time in the book, I was like, really? There can't be another game we can play? <laughs> like, okay, Shasta, we've heard this game played about, I don't know, at least 20 times throughout the series. And I'm like, it doesn't need to be like 10 pages long. <laughs> I was, well, it's it's Karen's really favorite game. It's descriptive. You can see those characters, you know. Like <laughs> Anne Martin just has a good time, just like you know, thinking like, how can I like portray these these fun yeah. characters, right? It's yeah. And they always it's play filler. at the mansions, so they have good costumes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good rich kid game. Come on. <laughs> oh, so what? What? jumped out to you, Sasha. We always start with the guests. There's, I mean, there's so much here for your various levels of expertise. So, you know, we're totally curious what you thought of the dancing stuff, what you thought of the eating disorder stuff, like, uh, you know. So, just, many, so many thoughts. Um, yeah, and I did kind of categorize them from like the, the ballet stuff and then the eating disorder stuff. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, they intertwine. But um, I guess the things that Anne got right with like ballet stuff, um, there it's pretty common to have like a high level school outside of New York City, like Stanford. I, I actually was teaching Connecticut for a while, and I it's like that stuff is kind of and they oftentimes ballet schools do have like these outreach programs. It's mm -hmm. uh, so I think like the the setting actually was kind of appropriate. Like this is something that actually could have happened. Um, nice. Another thing that I think um, there were hints. I think both from Carrie, which was kind of a random, but, and then Quint's letter was like this idea that like, if you don't have the body, there's sort of this existential anxiety. Like you devoted all this time as a dancer. And then like, once you get to be graduating high school or whatever, and then moving on to that next step, a lot of girls just sort of by default don't have the ability to do so. And so, mm -hmm. um, I think that that was actually pretty accurate. Like, I think there is almost like an unspoken, um, sort of your, you're going to have a decision made for you at some point um, in mm. terms of your ability to continue. So those things were appropriate. Um, and that, if we can just pause there for a second, Sasha, because I think that intersects a lot with some of your stuff, Emily, because I think it, that that goes deeply against the myth of the meritocracy, right? And sort of like, just like American ideals that if you work hard enough, you can do you can anything do that you yeah. want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we especially, especially given how early people start ballet, like that's a message that we especially want to give children, especially in the 80s and 90s. And so that seems like a really bitter pill to swallow that you could, you know, spend hours and hours and hours and hours every week 
you know, putting all of your heart into it and someone who maybe actually doesn't care about it as much as you, but like has the gift of some kind of genetics that you don't have mm-hmm. can move forward and you can't. Um, I think it goes beyond like weight though. I, I think some of the things that hold people yeah. back are just not having like, you know, good enough extension or turnout or like these things that are mm-hmm. sort of ballet specific. Um, and you mm-hmm. might question like, how come nobody told them that <laughs> like you're not going to, you don't have the facility that you need it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like almost people are just, you know, they don't want to kill the dream if you will. Or like mm-hmm. people sort of like let people pursue this idea like, Oh, you really can have a career. It's like, eh, I don't know. Like, you know, you could probably have determined that sooner. And if, is that delusional of, of the person who's going through it? I don't know. Um, I think that's like a feature of a lot of kids athletics too, that you grow up, if you're an mm-hmm. athlete as a kid, you grow up thinking, or everyone who coaches you coaches you as though you're going to become a professional athlete. But like, no, I mean, almost none of us do, right? Like, yeah. So then the counter argument though is like, you know, you'd say, oh, but you learn so much uh, self-discipline and time management and, you know, the friends you make in ballet are, are really meaningful and all these, you know, I don't know. It's a, uh, I think some people would sort of try to counter it and say, well, it's not wasted time, right? Or it's not your experience right. in that environment is, is actually making you who you are, regardless of whether you will go on to have that, you know, top 1% career. Um, mm-hmm. And then Quint, I think, says it in his letter where it's like, oh, they usually go on to Broadway or musical theater, which I, or to teach. I, and it's true, like you, there are a lot of professions that, that don't require mm-hmm. like being in a tutu at the, you know, at the top of your ballet game. So, um, yeah. Well, I think that idea of wasted time is really interesting too, because it's, to your point, right, that you learn other things or it's formative in all these other ways, even Mm -hmm. if it's not your ultimate like career, but like the idea that that's time wasted because you could have been preparing for the thing that you end up doing is also part of that, like the, the capitalism grind, right? Right. That like, we 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 have one one goal and that's the only thing that if I, you know, Mm -hmm. all my efforts are put towards that one goal. Yeah. Yeah. And like we are our work, right? Right. Yeah. Interesting. One other thing they got right, and we touched on this really briefly, but this idea that like, the optimism, like things are getting better with racism in in dance. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think, you know, it's it's pretty poignant. There's one line where she's like, one, one cocoa face in the sea of white faces or something, you know, and, and yeah. I think her recognition of that and even her talking to the mom. Um, Martha's mom. Martha's yeah. mom. Yeah, I, I think those things... Um, I don't know, back back in the 90s, that, that would have been pretty striking. I think even today, it's quote unquote getting better. And yet, a lot of it just still feels, I, I think, in the last maybe three years because of, you know, George Floyd and, and sort of there's been more social, ju- social justice movement that some of the dance world has taken up as well, that I think it's mm-hmm. getting better. But other than that, I, I think, um, I don't know if you guys know Misty Copeland, you know mm-hmm. her name? Yeah. So she... She's done so much advocacy in this in this way, but I I don't know if back in 1997 we would have said like things were actually getting better at that point. I think Misty would be like, nope, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. But but there still seems is a more little stigma, like, you know? optimism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we um we do donations in honor of each of the babysitters when it's their like fictional birthday. <laughs> um, and so last year for Jesse's birthday, we download we donated to an, this organization, Brown Girls Do Ballet. Amazing. That, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it supports brown, black and brown girls, you know, moving forward. But I think it's still a really tiny organization. Um, I was, I was looking it up earlier today, prepping for this episode. And I think their, their most recent 
like fiscal numbers they have posted on their website are from 2019. So they may, I'm I'm guessing they have expanded since 2020. But, you know, in 2019, they donated $44,000 to a bunch of different girls. But I know like in, like that's no money at all in ballet, right? Like, and that's like spread out. So that's like a class here or there, this many toe shoes, which I know people go through quickly, Mm -hmm. which is important, but like that's a, a tiny operating budget for such a large... Yeah. problem, it seems like. No, it's interesting. You guys were saying at the beginning, like, oh, ballet is sophisticated. And I think, you know, I might replace that word with like privileged, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it takes sure. a certain amount of money to, to actually pay for all these classes. And sometimes, you know, if you are good enough, you get merit scholarships, right? And, um, but yeah, to your point, as may like point shoes are expensive. Yeah. Um, I'm out of curiosity, how much, lucky to have parent- how much are ballet classes at that level? Like the kind of class that Jesse would That's a good go question. Into. I don't, I mean, with, with inflation at this point, I think it's kind of like if you imagine putting your kid in any after school programming, it's like probably, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a semester or something, depending on how they break it down, like how many times a week they're going to something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have kids. And so I don't know what going rates are for like putting them in piano lessons or art classes, or, but it's something, it's similar to that mm-hmm. where you, you kind of make you make a commitment at the beginning of a quote semester or a year and you kind of have to shell Some out sort of you have term, to shell yeah. out a lot of money all at once, mm-hmm. I think. And and I think sometimes um, making that decision, like, is my kid really going to go to every class? Are they really going to enjoy it for a whole six months or a year? You know, it's, yeah. I think it's there's a little bit of anxiety about that too when you're shelling out that much money. But are we going to get our money's worth? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just need to, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was my parents were like, if you commit to this season, you have to finish it. That's right. the rule. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I have a lot have a Watson, of You can have about a Watson it. around too, to just throw money around. <laughs> throw a scholarship yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> just pull, pull out the wallet. Oh, oh, it's not money. It's, it's a business card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have many thoughts about sort of the way Anne talked about the dance itself. And it was so much of it was like so wrong. I was cringing. Um, there's so basically starting off the class with Grand Batman, I was like, nobody would ever do that. And then so I, I, I asked my, so my husband, true story, was a dancer too. And I was like, hey, like, do you know of anywhere, any style that they would start class with Grand Batman? He's like, well, actually, Chiquetti. And I was like, oh, okay. So basically, there's one dance style that they would maybe do that. And But okay, I had a career in professional ballet. I never started class with Grand Batmans. And I was like, oh, and like, what are you doing? So, That's anyways, funny. so that was weird. And then when you move to center, like when you get off the bar and you go to center, like the first step she had them doing was arabesque planche you would never do that like it again like you start with tondus and then it's just it's one of those things where like her gauging of like what you do in what part of the class I was like have you watched a class like (laughs) that's Um, her description of a pot of shot as you jump in the air touch your toes together lightly and then come down softly I was like no that's that's not a pot of shot but whatever if that's her her (laughs) of it And then on page five, she's like, I was dancing all around my house this morning. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes at the end of class, each of us dances alone across the studio doing a series of steps that Madame Noel has strung together, which is true. You do, you know, you kind of go across the floor, but she goes, Bore with port bras into a padisha. Ending with arabesque planche in first arabesque position. I was like, like, there's so much wrong with all of that. You would not <laughs> Wait, I have a question, Sasha. Yeah. Is that physically possible to do? Oh, it's physically possible. You just wouldn't. Okay. You just, it, it just, you just don't, right? Like, it would just look dumb. Is yes, that like exactly. A <laughs> jumping jack into like a somersault into like I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, 
I, I think one of the first the first major problems is that if it is something that moves across the floor, like an arabesque planche doesn't move. It's like it's a right. static thing, right? And so uh, the also the the thing that you would do at the end of a class would be something that would be jumping. Like you would be moving across the floor with like leaps or something like that. And so just the fact that she's doing bores, which is actually not something that's at all a jump. The Padish has a jump, but it's kind of like a middle jump. It's not like a big jump. So, I, I mean, just there's so much just wrong with that sequence. And I, I think that was, you know, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. I was like, Anne, do your, do your research, I, do your homework. I really you know, wish she but. weren't in a closet right now so you could just demonstrate that for I us. know. I was just going to say <laughs> Show us what it would look like, Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someday, someday you will see yeah. this, this sequence. And it's just not, yeah. Well, so, when, when you and as we see each other in the hallway. Well, maybe we can... I was going to say, maybe we can do, you know, when we run into each other late at yes, night in the Pritzker right. building and no one's there, I can have you do that sequence across the waiting room and we can post it on for show our you patrons. How, how inappropriate it is. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Me okay. Too. I'll follow up, you guys. I'll follow up. <laughs> Can't wait. So that was, we have this nice new building with lots of space. So yes. there's plenty of room for Sasha to dance. Amazing. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. That's, that's my ballet critique. I, I think okay. you know, there were some, some good parts about it, some parts that she actually got right and some that I was just like, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. What about the eating disorder? Yeah. Stuff? Tell us about oh, poor Mary. Boy. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot there. I think um, I'll start again sort of similarly with the stuff that she got right. Um, she talked a little bit about body checking, like looking in the mirror, um, pinching herself, baggy clothing, that she was sort of temperamentally a warrior. Like, sort of those are those are characteristic of somebody who's who's struggling um, with eating disorder stuff. Um, <laughs> this is probably a problem you have with every single book, but like the lack of person first language. Like she was anorexic. I was like, no, mm-hmm. you know, like, so again, yeah. these are, these are, you know, the historicity of when this was written and, and how we talk about people now um, who are struggling yeah. with these things rather than these things themselves. Um, yeah. Esme does like a social justice watch at the end of every episode yeah. where she clocks <laughs> most of the, mostly those things. Yeah. 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 So that was, that yeah. was a little egregious, but, but again, not surprising for when it was written. Um, right. You don't refer to all of your patients as anorexics, Sasha. <laughs> That's weird. Oh my gosh. I don't understand. It just yeah. makes me cringe. Um, yeah. Uh, the other, I thought it was like, you know, Mindy was framed as this like <laughs> catalyst. And I just, mm-hmm. in some ways I'm like, that would never happen. Um, mm-hmm. It, it kind of bothered me. It, it, she got such a like, I don't know, if I were reading this, I would sort of blame her for like the onset or I, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, that's not that's not accurate. Um, yeah. So Mindy is the character who's like telling Mary fat. that if you get, get her leaps weight, high enough, yeah. she needs to lose more weight. But I sort of saw, I wrote down in my notes, like Mindy Howard is the pro Anna website of 1993. <laughs> yes. um, Cause You're that's how it struck me. Yeah. Um, it's a scapegoat, but it's not yeah. the only thing. Yeah. Like some of the stuff she said, like you definitely have a few pounds to lose. I'm like, who says that? Like, no, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So that was just, that struck me as a little off putting that, I mean, I don't know, maybe Ann Martin felt like she had to have like a reason why, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but, the other but thing- that's an interesting question because I think people outside, you know, and this is back to your ballet background, but I think people outside of that world wouldn't necessarily think that that sounds so crazy. Like, you know, right. pe- people, you know, if it's that, that people might share tips or share concerns because weight and shape is so central mm-hmm. to that particular, um, sport slash art form. Um, but it sounds like that's not something that you, I mean, I know you're looking at this with your psychologist lens, but yeah. those kind of comments to other people are not something that you saw much of when you were dancing. I, I, I feel the need to educate. 
Um, sorry. Please. I'm going to like, yeah, uh-huh. I, I think um, eating disorders like any other psychiatric disorder are extremely heritable. They're genetically derived. It's really neurobiological. The way we're understanding the etiology of eating disorders is is really not environmental. It's sort of this mm-hmm. gene by environment interaction. And so I think, yeah. you know, somebody, let's take Mary, she probably had predisposing risk factors, maybe, you know, genetic loading, maybe um, metabolic differences. There's sort of this, you know, over the last three years, there's been some suggestion that eating disorders are actually metabol, like, you know, metabolism driven psychiatric disorders. And so it's this Mm. idea that yes, if you're put in the environment and you're sort of the perfect storm of like maybe having low self-esteem, like low, low body dissatisfaction or like body satisfaction, and then maybe a comment here or there would, would maybe trigger a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. but it would not come from somebody telling you like, Oh, if you, you know, if you lose weight, you jump higher. Like that's just, that's just not realistic. It would be, I think, one of the things that was actually probably more realistic would be if she actually were heavy, like Mm -hmm. genuinely were in a heavier body. um, A teacher might have said something like, Oh, you know, you, you might want to just like lengthen out or, or tone up a little bit Mm. Um, or those are good euphemisms. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I I also need to lengthen out. It's coded language. (laughs) It's coded, right? It's, it, they, yeah. And the person delivering this message thinks that they're saying it in a way that's adaptive. But I think in mm-hmm. reality, every every person, right. every dancer knows what you mean. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I think that's actually what I think, if I were writing this book, I would put that as the trigger if, if I wanted to actually mm-hmm. make it realistic. Because um, I think that yeah. that happens um, to a lot of people. Um, the other yeah. thing I think that I just, uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain this, but like if you see somebody in your dance class losing weight at that rate and you see them struggling with their strength, it's almost like, um, <laughs> almost like malpractice, but it's like, what, why did you let it go to that point? Like for Madame a, Noel, yeah. a, yes, a teacher yeah. would have said something earlier. Like there's just the fact that she got as bad as she did is in some ways I'm like that again would never happen. I think there would be an intervention by way of an adult sooner mm-hmm. than making, you know, and it was almost like uh, Jesse got off the hook from having to do an intervention because she fainted. Like, mm-hmm. in fact, I mean, she was kind of pondering, like, should I tell somebody? And then it almost like the fainting kind of saved her a little bit because it was then it escalated. Right. And then she could kind of yeah. have that occasion. But This is a kind of common thing that happens in these books where the girls like assume a sort of adult mantle and typically it's running interference with parents and who are like doing something that's not helping their children. So it's, it's interesting to see, to hear you say that because it sort of that rang true or your criticism sort of was lurking in the back of my mind, but I, I don't know much about eating disorders or ballet, but like, it seemed to me like, one of either her parents or the teacher, you know, the teacher says like, let me talk to one of your parents. I think you need to see a doctor, but like, doesn't follow up on it. And that seemed really unrealistic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something that is a little bit realistic, but yet also wasn't correct. Was this like Burger King stuff where it's like, she was avoiding going to Burger King, the things that were, and that's, that's normal pushing food around. That would be normal and appropriate for somebody with an eating disorder. But I think her saying like, out loud, oh, that's not the kind of food I eat. Or mm-hmm. I can't go, I have to go running. Like mm-hmm. people with an eating disorder don't actually like broadcast 
things like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's right. more secrecy pri- is exactly is it's more huge private. part of it. Yeah. Right. And so I was kind of questioning my reaction to those lines because I'm like, maybe Anne Martin felt like she had to put that out loud so that mm-hmm. the reader could actually like hear what was going on in, in the character's mind. Right. And I, but I, maybe there's a better way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. by, by writing it in a different way where you didn't say things that actually would never actually be said out loud. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, <laughs> that was just kind of like a strange, um, like it was accurate and yet it really kind of wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stop there. Was there anything that you guys yeah. were curious about? Like, did you, were you wondering if, uh, if anything were accurate that you kind of questioned? I'll let Anne and Emily go first as the other psychologist on the line. <laughs> well, I mean, this doesn't have to Anne. do about eating disorders, but I you answered the question about the choreography. So <laughs> yeah, I was very curious about, I'm like, I don't actually know what any of these things look like, so I couldn't imagine the movement, but it sounds mm-hmm. like it, did, it didn't look very good, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm actually curious, maybe we can kind of pivot to my corner a little bit and I can um, ask you, Sasha, what you think about the way that um, this I, the way that anorexia and kind of the slender body get treated in sort of feminist philosophy, because it's a it's a little bit of a different um, approach to kind of analyzing the like the social function of, of anorexia um, or like the the prototype of the kind of slender body and how that um you know, coalesces with a certain idea about, about what femininity is. And like, to your point earlier about kind of inclusivity and racism in ballet, right? The slender body is also a white body, right? So there's a lot of interesting kind of work in um, feminist philosophy on anorexia. In particular, there's one um, professor, Susan Bordo, who writes about slender body, unbearable weight. Like she kind of, she is one of the sort of pioneers of what, what they call, um, new materialism. So it's this idea that kind of like the body fell out of feminist theory in part out of a disagreement over like, to what extent woman is woman's body. Right. So like if historically women have been barred from access to political power and agency and all these things, because they were rendered only body and not mind, then like, how does feminist theory grapple with the fact of the body, right? And so there was this kind of move to sort of distance um, the the idea of woman from biology, right? And to say that actually, like, you know, Simone de Beauvoir, woman is, um, woman is not born, she is made, right? She becomes woman and part of like the experience of being a woman is is actually experiential and psychic and all these other things not like inherently built into the the building blocks of our DNA. And then, then there was this kind of like, oh, well, but also women have like material bodily needs. And so like, what do we do with the body? And so new materialism was a sort of like effort to kind of bring the body back to, to feminist theory. And Susan Bordo is one of the, the early kind of um, philosophers who was sort of helming that project. And she writes a lot about, about weight and, and like um, image and stuff like that. And she had a book in the nineties that where she, had a chapter where she writes about anorexia and she groups it with um, hysteria and agoraphobia as um, as all kind of gender related disorders that help us theorize like the de- the physical material kind of demands of femininity, right? So that you see like agoraphobia or you see hysteria um, kind of emerging at a moment in time when femininity is being reconfigured from like productive to reproductive, right? And that you see agoraphobia um, kind of emerge as a, as a gender related disorder at a time 
when um, women are have been sort of let into public but need to go back into the home, mm-hmm. right? And then anorexia kind of emerges at a time when the ideal body becomes slender. And so she writes a lot about, um, you know, it's not like a causal account of like, um, you know, this is why these things, this exist. is why this yeah. person is anorexia, but it's sort of like a, a philosophical account of the kind of background conditions and configurations of gender that sort of make anorexia possible, if that makes sense. So I think in the way that you've talked about it, maybe, um, like the demands of femininity act as a sort of like background environmental, um, factor. And that maybe like one of those little triggers that you were mentioning could emerge from like a specific, you know, um, configuration of those demands or something like that. But I think, um, she wrote what, what I think about is interesting in this is that like these disorders kind of take the mantle of femininity, right. The demands of it. And then like carry them out to their extreme. So the feminine ideal is both realized and like it like outlives its utility to an extent. Right. So like if the, if the slender body is, um, is, idolized because it is attractive to to the male gaze or it is like the pinnacle of femininity, but the, but the disordered body, right. Becomes so slender. It is no longer feminine, right. Then it's like subverting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's like harnessing the feminine demand, but subverting it at the same time. So she reads it, she reads it as kind of like, um, like a social read on these disorders kind of glimp like looks at femininity sort of carried out to its most absurd um extreme Mm. which is i think kind of an interesting way of of thinking about it in the case of agoraphobia like women belong in the home and so they only never ever leaves the home yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) and so but then like her utility as a person who cares for the home is is sort of outlived yeah yeah, Yeah, she can't go get the groceries right she can't do anything so it's like kind of interesting but she writes a lot about also how like what we were talking earlier about the kind of work ethic and um, the sort of like importance of self-regulation and self-control as also a, a kind of social feature that um, uh, against which the slender body kind of emerges as an ideal type, right? And we've talked about this before, right? The idea that like um, we pathologize excess um, and like self-management, right, is, is seen as like the kind of paradigmatic task for you, right? Like you create your own destiny, um, to be successful, you have to like discipline the self and to think about kind of like a, the hyper slender disordered, you know, uh, disordered body. Right. And, and she's like it, in conversation with feminist disability theorists. So she's using disordered body, like scare quotes abound, right. It's like, so, so a kind of social disorder, um, in that sense, but, um, that like there's a kind of moral responsibility that gets ascribed to self-regulation and bodily regulation, right? And so we see, um, you know, this comes up in fat studies, right? That like one of the reasons why it's bad to be fat is not as Anna Martin talks it in her note, and we'll we'll get to this in a minute, but like not because of health reasons, but because it betrays a lack of self-control, right? right? It shows a moral failure that you can't, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, you know, in feminist theory, right, what's interesting is that like all these kinds of discourses around the necess- necessity to discipline the body are also overlaid with, um, you know, discourses around gender and and race, right, to come to come back to the idea that like the slender body is a white body. So I'm, cur- I'm curious whether that like any of that resonates with sort of how you all think about eating disorders, like in from the scientific kind of psychological perspective. The origins of anorexia actually are sort of in aestheticism, like sort of the 
um, very earliest cases were more in like a religious context, like trying to be mm. pure, trying to mm-hmm. sort of distill yourself down to, um, you know, sort of a, a state of self-deprivation in order to sort of achieve some sort of higher lightness of being or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, like thinking about that in terms of like sort of the purity of the dance form or the purity of your body is, is that part of it? Um, and I think what you were saying, which I found sort of, you know, I was reflecting that when you are in ballet, even though you're supposed to be feminine, like you're not supposed to actually have big breasts. They're supposed to be small. (laughs) You're supposed to be very small in your waist. Like you're not supposed to have big hips. Like it Mm -hmm. was almost like the, like, how are we defining feminine? Right. In this point, it's sort of, if, if anything, it's almost like to be submissive or passive is really like most of the roles barring, I think maybe taming of the shrew, all the major ballets that the female protagonist is like sort of in some ways always reduced or like she's a ghost or she's a, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like, um, a doll. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's a tampening down and there's, there's moments where she can assert herself here and there with, you know, black swan or whatever, but it's, it's, um, for the most part, there's like this hierarchical idea, um, within the dance world, even, you know, the, the level of respect that you're supposed to show these elders, like Madame, you know, whatever at the beginning was like wrapping her stick, you know, and it's like, that's, that's actually sort of like the structure of the ballet world is very hierarchical. And within that, even though women are supposed to be celebrated, we're, it's like submission, right? It's that you're just yeah. do what you're told, get in line, stay in line, be quiet. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know how that impacts eating disorders, maybe temperamentally, the type of person that would be um, more genetically at risk for eating disorders, but also want to go into an art form that has like this emphasis on perfectionism, like mm. no matter how many times... Or asceticism. Asceticism, yeah. right. No matter how many times you do those those steps, like the, the whole point is that you can always do them better. And it's mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. coming back to the same exercises every day, time and time again, you're, you're trying to improve without ever feeling like you're going to reach that. And so again, temperamentally, it's like you could say the same about your body's never going to be perfect to the person who's always trying to make it more and more perfect. So whether that's your weight or your technique or your, you know, how you look in a tutu or whatever, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like a perfect storm of different conflations of, of what it means to be better or more feminine or more perfect in terms of like that body ideal that's expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for Bordeaux, right, like the, that's kind of a paradox of the demands of femininity, right? That like, if you reach its highest, you know, form, you actually rendered yourself less feminine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. so it's kind of an interesting way that gender is sort of malleable in that, mm-hmm. in that sense. But yeah. Heavy stuff today. <laughs> yeah, geez. So, so patriarchy still bad is what I'm hearing. Is that <laughs> oh, um, timeless? Yeah, yeah. Timeless. Okay. Hot take. Yeah. Just, but. just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Just checking mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not usually the one that lightens it up, but I just have some like little non-eating disorder psychology nuggets that I wanted to put out. So it's maybe slightly lighter than everything that you two just talked about. So and then we can transition and hopefully Anne will probably talk about Burger King, I'm guessing. Um, so um, I, I the, the, the most heavy thing I have that I just think is relevant is that this is the, gosh, probably fourth, maybe even fifth time now that we're, we have like a very special book learning about a topic through a non-central character. So, you know, Stacy uh, has diabetes and we right. learn a lot about type 1 diabetes through Stacy. And I think that that's extra valuable because she's one of the babysitters. She's one of us. And we have books from her perspective in the first person. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, going back to Matt Braddock, who's deaf, who Jesse learned sign language for. We have Susan, who has who's autistic, and we have, and now we have Mary, and there's some other people I'm not thinking of. I know there's more to come. I know they start babysitting for a girl with Down syndrome in a few books, like, um, and I'm just starting to think about the fact that all of these are, you know, one time or very background Ooh. characters. Um, and the, the, the potentially othering effect that that can have um, when we're learning about them. There's and like, like no time course, right? Like you don't realize right. it's all resolved within one book where it's like, no, actually, like if somebody's struggling with an eating disorder, it might take several months or years. Oh, or yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and Jesse even mm-hmm. says after, you know, after she faints and she talks to Madame Noel, she says like, I'm glad that's over. And I had a thought of like, Whew, oh, it's yeah, <laughs> we've yeah. only just begun, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's yeah. so not over, yeah. Jesse. And so I just think, you know, obviously part of the reason these books were such hits and part of the reason the three of us love them so much as children is that you see yourselves in the babysitters and you see, and, and I just, you know, got to thinking what sort of internalized ideas do all of us have and how does it feel if you're reading this book as, um, you know, a child who's deaf or as a, a child, somebody with anorexia nervosa, like that it's this side character that is struggling with the, with the whatever issue it is versus one of the babysitters. Just something I think that we, we should kind of keep an eye on well, and that I hadn't really thought about before Claudia. now. That's true. That's true. Claudia and Claudia experiences racism very directly, um, as does Jesse. Yeah, that's true. They're, yeah, I mean, they all have struggles, right? And obviously they're struggling with, the, a bunch of them are dealing with divorce and like they have their own struggles. But I, I think for the more extreme challenges often not that racism is not extreme let me be clear but that's a it's not a that's not a problem with claudia right that's right. a problem with uh what's her name that, the racist that bitch lady yeah, yeah. um <laughs> you know for the things that are something that someone's struggling with personally i think you know there's no other way to do it because you can't have you know people with a billion different disorders join the babysitters club all <laughs> like you know the club will get way too big but i just ha- had a thought about it and i was just curious yeah. what you guys uh, i just started percolating on it reading this book. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be a little alienating to if you were dealing with anorexia to read this book, right? That, and yeah. like to get Jesse's kind of like the judgment, right? <laughs> you that's you get the outside perspective of like what it looks like and that mm-hmm. might not I don't know, feel kind or yeah, generous. Yeah. 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 So, I did think in terms of, you know, my, you know, treating a bunch of eating disorders not being the level of expert that Sasha is in them. I, I thought this was be- this book was better than I thought it was going to be, considering it was thirty years old. It's true. I was yeah. sort of going in thinking we were going to get a lot more myths about eating disorders. Like your your points are well taken, Sasha, but I think some of them were for the point of writing the story for yeah. demonstrating some of the things to the reader. And it was not as far off base as I thought it was going to be. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the the information they read in Janine's psychology textbooks seemed pretty darn good. It was okay. I was, yeah. 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 Like <laughs> some of it was a little bit like ah, okay, that was a weird way to say it. But yeah, I mean, I think it was, right, yeah. right. Right. But it was like, it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't strike. I, I guess I was just buckled up for it to be real, real bad. Um, right. So, um, and I did, I did really like, um, you know, a thing that I just really enjoyed was Quint's letter and Aunt Cecilia's talk with Jesse in terms of intervening and saying something. And I think that, you know, she got nice encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, Aunt Cecilia, you know, 
quotes the adage, cruel to be kind, which has led me to singing all week. (laughs) But um, in addition to that, I just, it also strikes me that that's like a good motto for behavior therapy in general (laughs) and sort of exposure therapy and like you know you have to push people to do challenging things to actually help them get better and get Mm -hmm. free from some of these challenges long term so I really liked those letters and then uh you know Christy uh I I kind of like to see Christy suffer a little bit because usually she's so confident and she and I'm like deeply a Christy Sasha so I like (laughs) very much identify with her but Um, But I didn't identify with this because it was like a lifelong project to get Anne and Emily to spend any time together without me. And they finally did it this year after hosting a podcast together for like two full years. So (laughs) even though they used to live in the same neighborhood, basically. So but that's me as an adult. I do think me as a 13 year old would have been stressed and sad about like my friends hanging out without me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. Yeah. I just, if, when I was a baby, if Anne came over and I was yeah. like, bye. Yeah. 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 And pick me up. Exactly. I would have been <laughs> you really crying. I would have you totally did, cried. You did yeah. poop on my lap. I remember holding you and you did poop on my lap. <laughs> like yeah. in a like diaper. In a diaper. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I was like out last year, Emily. Yes. Sure. <laughs> oh. What? Dark. Taking it dark again. Taking it Shouldn't dark. Shouldn't have had that weed gummy. <laughs> But I do, I did really like that, um, you know, that Jesse was the one to say like, well, they're having fun, but like you're, you're Christy. And Christy says, I'm Christy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was sweet. So those are the little pieces that stuck out to me. And can you, can you save us and take us to a completely lighter place, please? Well, before I get into Burger King, which is a very short thing, um, I I was curious, (laughs) Sasha, when they started the, like, you know, the program, um, but Madame Dupree, the teacher, they were all pissed off at her because they were like, they're letting the kids run wild. And I was like, I mean, is that yeah. a big deal? Like, <laughs> like, would, do you think that reaction was weird by, by the students? No, I, I think that actually was a very, I, I kind of appreciate mm. that because I think it sort of gave Madame Dupree this like mystical like expertise where like she knew that mm-hmm. if she went right in with too much structure, the kids were going to hate it. And so she kind of had to like a soft ramp up, like, okay, we'll let you just kind of run around and enjoy the, you know, the, the feeling of movement. And then we'll start kind of clamping down. And so I actually, I thought that was, um, I liked that. I thought that was actually like a good reaction, appropriate reaction from the kids because they probably didn't realize, you know, from their kid perspective, like, you know, they would have gone right in and tried to give them the the exercises and the discipline, not realizing that sometimes you have to come up alongside, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was like a, a nod to Madame Dupree's wisdom, if anything. Um, but then is Raoul right? Is she racist? Is she assuming that uh, poor kids and kids of color can't no, have disciplined classes? No, because I think, you know, if all those kids... <laughs> she pulls that switch. Yeah, She would have, I think mm-hmm. all of the kids, if they had been, you know, Caucasian and, and from high income areas, I think she would have done the same thing. If they were not, if they were naive to dance, I think she would have put right. them in the same situation. So. I think it was Raoul's misinterpretation of the situation. Her master plan. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, Esme and Emily, did you take ballet classes? Yes. I took four years of ballet before you and I switched to jazz with Michaela. Remember Uh, Michaela? Yeah. 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 It did not. I, uh, I lacked those things. 
that weren't weight that Sasha mentioned before turn out and other things. Like ability to turn your limbs in a certain way. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, it, um, I, I was, I mean, we've talked before about how my daughter has developmental coordination disorder. And I think that I probably had it as a child and was mm-hmm. undiagnosed. And mm-hmm. so it was my mom's attempt to help me become more coordinated and more graceful. And it did not work mm-hmm. <laughs> even a little bit. Well, maybe yeah. it, maybe you're better off though. Had you not had any ballet, maybe you would even less uh, coordinated. You know, that's it's, true. It's an A B study. Ballet. We can't we can't say. There's no control group, but um, I was yeah. really good at uh, marching in marching band, and I'm pretty good at and I'm pretty good at ballroom. Awesome. But the precision of ballet is not a yeah, thing that I can do. Not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Emily, what was your experience? I, I think a year. Mm-hmm. I think I did a year of ballet and tap but the jazz classes always looked more fun to me so I switched to jazz and then um I had a very traumatic performance experience that I quit jazz after because we were supposed to do this um at a recital like this dance that had us all in groups and no one in my group came and so I had to do it by myself and I forgot it for like 30 seconds and it was really really traumatizing for me so then I quit and went to gymnastics I had that happen actually, like somewhat, like during my career. It was terrible. I was, I was, yeah. I I will not even go there with that memory, but I I had a blank out. Really, bad. yeah. I was. I yeah. think I was like nine, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. Wow. Never doing this again. There. <laughs> and you yeah. just did jazz. Did you ever do ballet? I did. Oh, you know what it was? I went to like one class of ballet, and my mom thought it was an hour, but it was actually half an hour because I was so young. So she forgot to pick uh-huh. me up, and then I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reason yeah. like why would you have me left yeah yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> um I, okay I have another dance question so between I feel like tap ballet and jazz were like the three big ones you would choose as like a kid to try out like are there certain personalities that match up with those three dances mm-hmm. mm. Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Who am I supposed to be? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's a fair Tell us the personality it. science of jazz Only because dance I feel like <laughs> I am not a ballet person, jazz a little bit more, but to me, like, tap is always the funnest You're thing. totally a tap person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's a, I hate to simplify the introvert and extroversion piece, uh-huh. but I, I do think there's a behaviorally inhibited quality. You have to be a little bit less uh fidgety whatever you have to be able to control yourself a little bit better to be in ballet mm-hmm. um so I think you're gonna see the kids that are a little quieter a little shyer a little bit more like uh Martha you know like sort of mm-hmm. fitting that mold um mm-hmm. jazz I think it you know uh you asked like were you romantic were you the first one of all your friends to like be dating and stuff like I almost see like the <laughs> jazz person being more like the the slightly precocious, uh, you know, mm, okay. able to move in a sexier way, kind of mm-hmm. sweeter, like less self-conscious in that way. Um, Stacy does jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then tap, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, you know, uh, dancing to your own beat a little bit, like a little bit less conformist, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I kind of see that kind of vibe coming out, like kind of not, not caring so much what other people think. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's also the nerdiest, right? Tap is the nerdiest. Yes and no. I think Sabian Glover made okay. it made it pretty cool. You know, I well, don't know. Depending enough. on the yeah. depending on the 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 stuff you've been yeah, exposed as to. Me. What, how, tap is yeah, as me. Tap is cool. <laughs> 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 like, I agree. That tap my favorite. I'm not. Like, <laughs> that tap scene from Thoroughly Modern Millie was just going to be like seared in my brain forever. I love that. It's <laughs> a great musical. Yeah. So fun. yeah. 
Okay, so Burger King was said <laughs> 11 times in this book, which seems ridiculous <laughs> to me. Spawn Con. Spawn Con yeah, alert. So <laughs> the last time we had the Spawn Con alert thing was, what book was it when Marianne was all into Jello or the Jello thing? Marianne plus too many babies. Yes. For some reason, right? wasn't yeah, it? Like, wasn't it in her home yeah, ec class? Like Marianne yeah, had to yeah. make Jello and she just couldn't figure out how to make Jello. But for whatever reason, no, it must not have been that one. It must not have been that one. She wouldn't be in the home yeah. ec class at the same time as the egg one. But anyway, it was around yeah. there. So just Jello everywhere, Sasha. Like for no reason at all. <laughs> Kind of the same way Burger King was just thrown Burger out. King was, yeah, great. interesting. Yeah. So yeah. when you think of Burger King, like, did that seem out of place for you? Like, you know, we know that her dance class is kind of by the train station. So I, I feel like it's kind of in the middle of nowhere a little bit. But Burger King just might be the closest thing to go eat, right? Yeah, I feel like small town train stations in Connecticut don't have fast food. Mm. I wouldn't see a Burger King. Um, Interesting. So that's out of place. It had to be something. Well, Stanford's not a small town, though. Right. Are they in Stanford? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but like, there's no Burger King by the train station and by the LIRR in Stanford. It's not the LIRR in Stanford. It's the Metro North. Just but in general, was well, you know what I mean. Whatever. Yeah. That's train. <laughs> I think Anne was grasping for fast food as being like an eating disorder trigger. Mm-hmm. Like she, uh, like she had to like sort of stereotypically like name something that she thinks that like would be representative. She shouldn't of, eat of yeah. Food, food. Yeah. Do you think it should have been mentioned eleven times though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not go for around twelve? I know, or just once <laughs> or twice. Right? Once or twice would have been fine, but eleven is a lot. So it was symbolic, though, of Jesse's like acquisition of friends. Like that was mm-hmm. where the the origin of of her feeling included. It was actually a special mm-hmm. place for her. So maybe Burger King was was you know, I don't know. Maybe it was important to like underscore the little. Well, I may here. have a theory because with the Jello mm-hmm. thing, it kind of lined up with this marketing push Jello had in the early nineties because they were mm-hmm. becoming less relevant. <clears throat> so I was curious mm-hmm. to see if there was anything going around with Burger King in the early nineties that could kind of also explain that this could maybe be like, why wasn't it McDonald's? Right. Like why wasn't it McDonald's or another place? Um, So in 1992, Burger King, (laughs) this is so random. (laughs) Yeah. In 1990. Welcome to Anne's corner, (laughs) Sasha. (laughs) I'm somehow able to connect the dots barely, (laughs) but I do. Uh, in 1992, so this book was released in February 93, I believe. So in 1992, mm-hmm. Burger King launched this flop thing called, it was like a uh, dine-in service or it was like table service in 1992. <laughs> so, okay. So in 1992, Burger King launched table service in a move to see more upscale than its competitors. Um, and they started serving these things called BK dinner baskets which were basically like the Burger King food, but it came with in a basket with some new side options, which included coleslaw and a side salad. Um, So during the hours of 4 to 8 p.m., which is when the kids went there. Just when ballet class gets out. (laughs) You would order the food at the counter like normal, but then you would get a number. You would go to your table Mm -hmm. and they would also give you a basket of popcorn to eat while you waited 
and then what random <laughs> yeah and then they would bring um the food to your table interesting so, that's totally what they're yeah, doing and it, it ran from 92 to 94 and then it ended right in that time period. right in that time period that's so Isn't weird, that weird? <laughs> amazing also and during that time so they find. launched another t- thing around that time which they didn't mention in the book but they launched a meatloaf sandwich in mm. in 92 also and there's so many commercials for it like i'll post them <laughs> but on our website <laughs> but there's so many commercials for the dinner baskets and also the meatloaf sandwich. And they're trying to make the meatloaf sandwich into something cool because like Dan Cortez was like in the commercials. Remember Dan Cortez from MTV? Like he did all those like oh, adventure extreme yes. sports. <laughs> anyway, so I really think... The 90s were a weird time. <laughs> I really think Burger King, this is SpawnCon because I feel like they oh, were just trying to get their name <sighs> out there. And like, mm-hmm. especially since the kids went there between the hours of four and eight Mm -hmm. and they did do that sweet, sweet table service. (laughs) They did not say it was table service, but I think there, you know, it was kind of hinted at that. This is a place where you can go. It was deeply implied. To hang out and eat there (laughs) rather than like to go or drive through. Wow. So Mm -hmm. boom, I figured it out. Boom. (laughs) You got it. Great great find, honestly. Honestly. That might be where I learned the most today. Mind Great. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I'm the least educated person here. So cool. (laughs) Yeah, but you know your Burger King. You know my Burger King. You know your SpawnCon. I know my SpawnCon when I see it. Uh, I know I know they implied some binge eating for Claudia. Yeah, they did. Yeah, was there candy? Um she Twinkies. I mean, just Twinkies was the only thing she mm-hmm. like actually ate in the book. Okay. But Jesse listed a bunch of stuff for her too. Like this is a new thing lately. They haven't they've room. just been like listing it. Yeah, in they the I Claudia think they said like her parents like, like they eat when she eats ho hos and ding dongs and like potatoes. Yeah, I noted that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. actually eating um was just twinkies yeah, just the twinkies when she heard about the, the eating disorder right yeah <laughs> that was funny yeah I that. yeah she's just like screw that noise right. yeah um the in terms of tallies we keep tallies sasha mm-hmm. of um the different sort of tropes they use to describe the girls um okay. throughout the series yep. um and we have a first which is that jesse uh lists Christie's bossiness in quotation marks, which I was excited to see. So it's not just like a non-critical, she sort of says like, she's, you know, despite her bossiness, um, which I think is a way to sort of take a step back from it and not kind of utilize it in the same way it's been used. And then there was one sensitive and one sophisticated. I also think we have a couple listeners who've been um, pointing out that later in the series, we get a lot more body shaming and like subtle and maybe sometimes not so subtle fat phobic messages. And I think um, the number of times that Yvonne was referred to as plump little Yvonne, um, who is one of the kids in the class. um, Yeah. What did they call her? A butterball. Yeah. It was a butterball. Butter the yeah. name of the girl was a butterball. The, the bouncy one in yeah. the, in the class. Yeah. That's yeah. Yvonne. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they mentioned this like seven year old's weight many, many times. And I yeah. think they could have just talked about her being bouncy and effervescent mm-hmm. and they didn't need to talk right. about how round she was. So mm-hmm. I do think that this is 
while Anna Martin is attempting to educate on one end of the weight <laughs> uh, continuum, yeah. this is, we're getting some pernicious messaging. Mm-hmm. And, and the, you know, they used to talk about Claudia's junk food habit and, and emphasize that it didn't impact her complexion. Um, but more and more, we get that it also, that she's like skinny or normal weight or mm-hmm. some reference like that, despite eating all of this junk. So it's something that it's, it's like a little dark undercurrent that I don't think was in the first 20 books at all hmm. that we're slowly seeing Escalate. rising. Yeah. yeah. What was everyone's favorite weirdest line? Uh, mine is really silly because I wanted to counteract all the seriousness and it's from Let's All Come In. But I really liked that one of the characters' names was Baron Von 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 Von. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, mine is when Jesse is describing her relationship with Quint. It's a, par- it's, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's a parenthetical. It's just, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it yeah. that too. <laughs> How about you, was, Emily? Oh, oh, Sasha, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. I was, I actually struggled with this. I, I think because there were, there were several that struck me as like, ooh, that's clutch, you know. But I, yeah. <laughs> um, there was on page sixty-eight, like a lot of like justification for dieting. Um, mm. like that's a perfectly okay thing to do, but you should only diet if you really need to. And if you talk to a mm. doctor, for, it just felt like, so like I was already set up being like, what, what are they doing? They're giving this like dieting messages. Right. But then, uh-huh. so then Christy, that my favorite line that the, like was just after that, where she's like, Oh, a fast weight loss is always bad news. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you know that? Like, and what do you yeah. mean? Like, it just was so like, for for a kid to be like, oh, it's yeah. always bad when you see a fast weight loss. I don't know. It just yeah. it just struck yeah. me as funny. I think I was primed because they had just been talking in like a really weird way about dieting. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That yeah. uh, we sometimes try to pick ones that are like, would a kid really say that? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. What do you mean by that? Like yeah, like yeah. When, yeah. when you're 13 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was thinking that it would be funny or fun to have the title be like one of the dance moves that Sasha has pointed out were um, incorrectly strung together, but I don't know which one's like the best one to do. <laughs> there was a lot of, um, what was the jumping one that you said was Pot-a-shot. incorrectly described? Yeah. A lot of pot shot. That could yeah. be fun. Um, <laughs> but I also like, if you know, you know. <laughs> If you know what I mean, sorry. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think all of them are really good. I don't have a big preference. This is is how we name our episodes. Yeah. And you choose. I would go with, I would do one of the dance moves or if you know what I mean, just because they both go well with the title. Okay. Sasha, what's the best dance move name that we we should pick from this book? (laughs) She really did talk a lot about Pata Shah. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, that. It was like and it, it also yeah. like if you're if you're lighter, if you lose weight, you're gonna have a higher pot of shot. You know, it's like that. Yeah. Was, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you yeah. should go for that. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Great. Fantastic. What should we pizza toast to? Baron von 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 von. <laughs> I mean Burger King, right? <laughs> Burger King table service. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> dinner baskets. Dinner baskets. Yeah, let's pizza toast to dinner baskets. Yeah. Wait, I, we can totally pizza toast to dinner baskets. I can't believe that we've made it over an hour and Anne didn't mention that um, Mr. Suji, the, the oh, Japanese yeah. piano it's, player. It's in my notes, but... <laughs> I figured. <laughs> it's like there's another Japanese yeah. person in Southern Connecticut. Yeah. 
It's not just Claudia's family. He plays the piano, shocker. Right. I know. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's Anne's older brother. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anne's pissed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we can pizza toast to dinner baskets. Is that really what we want to do? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Esme always wants to make it like super sincere and genuine. And earnest. Not always, just sometimes. Okay. Oh, but I do want to also... One last thing that was a candidate for pizza toast for me that I forgot until now. When Jesse's describing uh, Christy's mom, Liz Thomas's jobs, she says she has one of those business kinds of jobs I don't always understand. Right. I was just like, <laughs> name, Jesse. Yeah. It's a business job. <laughs> so we get pizza toast to the Watson Brewer. Oh, yeah. oh the, Watson the Watson and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth Brewer, Brewer Memorial Dance Memorial Scholarship. Dance yeah. scholarship. <laughs> do we want to or do we just make fun of it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was good for Martha and Devin. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was kind of messed up to like announce it in front of all of the kids though. Like, I, like, I guess it's nice for Martha and Devin. It's like, oh, Daddy Warbucks. Plumpy Vaughn was upset. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So dinner Dinner baskets baskets. then? Dinner baskets. (laughs) Pizza toast to Burger King dinner baskets. Burger King. (laughs) To Burger King dinner baskets. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I don't know if you want people to find you, Sasha. But sometimes when people have sure. things to, you know, to market, plug, plug anything exciting, anything, a, a, a new. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. We didn't ask you about your new project that you're working on. Yeah, so maybe you can say a little I, bit about that and then where people can follow you on Sure. Twitter no, I am um, about to launch some um, sort of wellness programming oh. at a few high level ballet schools. Uh, cool. One of them, you know, I was sort of already thinking about and then in the midst of planning for that, two other schools reached out to me. So in the next six months or so, I'll be rolling out some, you know, wellness and eating disorder prevention, sort of body acceptance stuff. Wait, I feel like this um, should have been at the beginning of the podcast, not the end. But yeah, well, sure. It was, yeah, just, it was I, in the beginning, okay. but we, where, we um, accidentally skipped it. Yeah, no, it's just it's something I I started doing some of this stuff during grad school, and uh, yeah, it just feels really awesome to be able to kind of continue this work because it's something where there's not a lot of people who do it, and I feel like I have this strange joint expertise in both ballet and psychology, and um, so. I'm excited about that. Um, where to follow me? I am on Twitter, even though I don't even know if Twitter <laughs> really should exist anymore. But right, um, so I am definitely there. It's pretty easy to find me at Sasha DMO, um, and then obviously through um, my my email address is publicly available through UCSF, uh, and I'm happy to be contacted there. So look me up, hit awesome. me up. Aww. Yeah, thanks Thank so, much, so much, Sasha. This was awesome. Yeah, I had a blast. Really, you guys really are, great. You guys are yeah. really fun to hang out with. Thanks for inviting I'm me. I'm going to do some across yeah. the floors when I get off. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And going to do a pot of shy into an arabesque ponche. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to try it. So I'll let you know how it goes. We'll post Beautiful. a video of Sasha doing it and then one of Anne. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Who wore it better? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you again, Sasha. And this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. 
Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs>